Well, good morning. So good to see you. I am uh, Pastor Jeremy. I oversee our Goldsboro campus. I've never preached on a Sunday here at the Princeton campus, and um, hopefully this won't be the last time, but we'll see how today goes. Some of you know, may know my family. Uh, my wife, Sabrina, is she out here today? Right there. All right. Um, we have uh, two boys. Graydon is, will be five next month. Cash will be two next month. And uh, we also have a little girl named Noelle that's coming next month. So February is a good month for us, I guess. Uh, you, if you notice my wife, um, it looks like she's about to have that baby any minute now. Uh, but we have another month to go. So I ask if you uh, just be careful about hugging her too tight because she might pop. Um, <laughs> if you're a guy, you shouldn't be hugging her anyway. <laughs> Unless you're one of our friends, you can give one of those Christian side hugs, I guess, that we'll do. Some announcements for you guys. Our Awakening 21-Day Fast has started. You excited about that? That was weak, man. And all those that are excited, get back to me next week and let me know if you're still excited about it. But it goes till February 2nd. That is the day before Super Bowl. So we thought that one out, didn't we? Uh, speaking of Super Bowl, don't forget so the missions team is taking orders for their subs. If you haven't had one of those subs for Super Bowl, uh, you're missing out. You can uh, do a pre-order out in the lobby uh, when you leave. But going back to the fast, uh, we have materials at the Connect Center for you. And also you can uh, view those online and download those. Some of you uh, are maybe kind of not really familiar with fasting. Fasting is basically giving up something that you enjoy so you spend time with God, so you can focus on God more. Uh, that could be uh, Facebook, which is one of the things that I'm kind of trying to do. It's going to be hard, man. It's going to be hard. Um, it, can be, uh, it can be food. We, we encourage you to do something with food. I don't know, you know, what, whatever it is. Um, it could be, you know, maybe even uh, sweets or desserts, uh, but, uh, but be a part of that. Speaking of desserts, we have uh, our D1 coming up, Dessert with the Staff, which is January 2nd which is during the fast, so I'm not really sure how much we thought through that one, but um, it's January 20th at 5 p.m. here at the Princeton campus. It's going to be in the lobby, and uh, this is the last Sunday to register for that, so if you want to be a, a part of that, if you want to kind of uh, know more about our church and uh, what we value, and also if you want to become a member, uh, we, we encourage you to be a part of that as well. You need to come to that if you want to be a member. Can't Wait De Valentine's Date Night is February 8th at 7 p.m. Here at the Bridge Princeton Campus. It's only $35 per couple, and that includes child care. You can't beat that price at all uh, with advanced sign-up. Register today, or you can even buy a gift certificate for a friend. You must register by January 31st because uh, seating is limited. If you're wondering if you should go to this or not, um, you probably haven't been to a date night. Probably haven't had a, had a date night in a while. Um, and Chick-fil-A with the kids does not uh, count as a date night. Just because they're in the playground and you're with your wife or your husband does not count. All right, so we are on a sermon series right now called Focusing on Your Destiny. What a, let's give it up for preach. Let's give it up. Let's give it up for pastor. I mean, he's been preaching his heart out, man. I tell you what. 
I've, uh, I've taken uh, over 20 pages of notes already in this series. And uh, if you're not taking notes, you're probably not remembering uh, all that he's, he's sharing. So that is um, a little plug right there for taking notes. So there's, I want to share a few things uh, that have really stuck out to me during this sermon series. I could, I could probably just give a sermon on that alone, but I just wanted to share a few things that have really uh, hit home with me. One is your prayer life reveals how serious you are. Your prayer life reveals how serious you are about what God's put on your heart. Number two, vague goals never get accomplished. You know, pastor's been talking about being specific. Number three, for it to be the best year of your life, that will depend on your intimacy with God. Number four, you have to be willing to change to get to where you want to go. That's the hard part. The hard part is, is, is changing. The hard part is humbling yourself and allowing God and others to speak truth into your life. Number five, it's okay to pray for success as long as you bless others with that and you give God the glory. And number six, to have victory, you need to fight the battle. You need to fight the battle. Now, a little bit about my preaching style. For those of you that never heard me before, I may cry because I'm a little emotional. Um, I may yell, but I'm not angry. I'm just passionate and a little intense. And I kind of have a dry sense of humor. So I may tell a joke and not even crack a smile. So just giving you guys a heads up with that. Now, I am fighting a cough. I've had this really nasty cough, but uh, I've been sucking on cough drops. Um, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, and I have my children's cough syrup with me. Because that's the only thing I could find in the house this morning. So, so step number six is what we're on today. Creating a step-by-step plan. So God promises Abraham that he would be a great nation. Abraham's getting old. He's in his hundreds by now. And his son Isaac is still single. So to be a great, to have a great nation, you need to have grandkids. And he doesn't have that. So, so Abraham, I ever realized how, pa- how pastor's a master at that? I'm still working on that mute thing there. <clears throat> So Abraham sends his servant Eleazar to go find a wife for his son Isaac. Eleazar designs a very simple, well-thought-out plan to find the right woman. And what Eleazar did is what we need to do. To reach your goal, to reach your destiny, you have to take one step at a time. One step at a time. Not a giant step, but small steps, baby steps. Like Bill Murray on What About Bob? That movie's funny. Two of you have seen that. Now, I have a strength of administration. My wife and uh, the staff kind of laugh at me because I write down everything. I have lists. I have lists for lists. That's how much I write stuff down. Uh, Now, a couple reasons I do that because I want to make sure stuff gets done. But another reason is I can't remember anything. I swear, my, my retention is awful. I'm not sure if it's, um, if it's all the concussions I had when I played football in high school or not. Yes, I did play football. I know it doesn't look like it, but I did. Dude, I'm like one of the only dudes that buys skinny jeans 
and they're not skinny on me, all right? <laughs> but so I just write everything down because if I don't write stuff down, stuff doesn't get accomplished. And um, so we're starting in Genesis 24, 10 through 11, and I think the guys have that on the screen there. It says, Then the servants, Eleazar, left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with samples of the best of everything his master owned. Then he journeyed to Iraq, to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw the water. So he takes, he takes all the best that Abraham has. You know, iPods, flat screen TVs, all that stuff. Then he prayed in verse 14. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to your master. Now, I don't have uh, verse 15 up on the screen, but if you just want to listen. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they haven't had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all of his camels." Now, a couple things stick out to me. When Eleazar sees her, he hurried. Here's a little sub-sermon on the side. Many of you have been praying for something. You've been seeking counsel. You've been reading scripture. You've been praying. And God has given you an opportunity right before you. And you're not taking it. And you're saying, God... When are you going to provide? Some of you have an opportunity right before you right now. Right now. And what you need to do is you need to take a step. You need to take a step. I don't know who that's for, but that's for someone in here. Now it says that Rebecca quickly emptied the jar and ran back to the well. So why is this important? Well, I don't know if you know this, but camels drink a lot of water. A lot of people think the, uh, the hump on the camel's back is where they store water, but that's not the case. It's, uh, it's where they store fat. And uh, now my wife and I have uh, ridden camels in the Sahara Desert, and it was fun for about five minutes. Then after about two hours, you're like, dude, I'm ready to get off this thing. Do you know that camels can drink nearly eight gallons of water in 15 minutes? And one site said, and I found it on Google, so you know it has to be true. <laughs> it said that they can drink up to 20 to 30 gallons of water in one sitting. 20 to 30 gallons of water. 
So remember, Rebecca said, not only will I give you a drink, but I will also give your camels a drink. Your camels. And how many of her camels? How many of us camels? Ten camels. So if you got ten camels, five buckets each, five buckets each, that's 50 buckets. 50 buckets of water. Now, I have a little illustration here. This is a, a five-gallon jug. And uh, now I'm sure that their jugs weren't as big as this. But can you imagine? Ugh. Can you imagine just going back and forth? Now, their water back in that day wasn't just like, you know, a hop stepping away. I mean, they had to go a far distance to get their water. So can you imagine Rebecca going back and forth, back and forth? Now, I would put this other gallon of water on my other shoulder and carry both of them at the same time, but I probably would drop it, and it would break, and it would short out all those TVs. So I just, just did one there. But can you imagine how much work that was for her to do? So what is Eleazar doing here? Well, he's looking for a woman who is kind, generous, has a servant's heart, and will go the extra mile. He's looking for a woman of character. Character. All the single ladies out there, I know the older crowd has a Beyonce song in their head right now. <laughs> I know you guys do. All the single ladies, all the single guys out there, are you looking for someone that is just looks good? Or are you looking for someone with character? Because tell you what, looks fade. Character doesn't. So he, do, he just doesn't say, can I have a drink? But let her say, I'll give you a drink and let me, let me water your camels too. Of her own initiative. So Eleazar plans works. In verse 21, 23. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, he gave her, Rebecca, a gold ring for her nose, a two gold bracelets for her wrist. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Would your father have any room to put us up for the night? Now, fellas, Valentine's Day is coming up. Remember that gold ring for her nose part. <laughs> I'm just saying. Here's a simple step-by-step -step plan thought out in advance. First, he goes to the watering well where the women hang out. If you want a woman, you've got to go to where the women are at. Now, I had one of my friends who's single uh, recently. He knew that this women's conference was coming up. You know where I'm going already, don't you? And, uh, you know, there's talk there's probably going to be over a thousand ladies. And he said, he said, hey, man, you just mind if I go and hang out? And I said, I like your thinking, but it would be a bad idea if you came. And uh, so he didn't show up. But, uh, so, he, so he goes to where the women are at. Then second, he sets up the test. He's looking for someone who's kind, who's generous, and is servant-hearted. Servant-hearted. Then if she passes the test, he gives her expensive gifts. Then he asks her about her family. Then he gets invited to her home. Now, here's an interesting thing. As you read, 
as, as, this, as this plan is unfolding together, and he gets invited to, he, he asks about being invited to her home, and she says yes. What, he, what Eliezer does, he says, it says that he bows down and worships. How many of us are guilty for praying for something, for God, you know, God, do this, or, or God, I need this, and, and, and God provides. And then you're like, all right, and you just kind of keep on going on. We need to have a grateful heart, a grateful heart. When God answers, you thank him on the spot right there. And not just that time, but, but you thank him again and again, just having a grateful heart. There's so many times throughout the day that I'm just, I'm just thanking God for whatever it is, just simple things. I mean, man, I, I thank him for my eyesight. I, I, thank him, I thank him that I can hear. I mean, there's so many things that we take for granted. And God wants a grateful heart. Then at the home, he shares his purpose. Then he pops the question. Men, when you ask your in-laws for your wife's hand in marriage, raise your hand if you were just a little nervous. There, you guys are lying. <laughs> I, I thought like everyone's hand would go up. There was like, like not even a quarter of the hands went up. Well, let me share, let me share my story. My wife and I started dating a couple weeks before she left for Africa to do missions work for an entire year. Good timing, right? And you can imagine what she was doing in Africa. And uh, I had met her mom one time, never met her dad. And uh, so we, ba we basically had a long-distance relationship. It was before, you know, Skype and all that. I had a bunch of these junky uh, uh, phone cards that, that only worked like half the time. And then when, when my wife and I would be talking, there would be like other people on the other line talking Arabic. And it was crazy, man. But, um, so, but we really, really got close, long-distance. So I fly to Connecticut, because I, I lived in New Mexico at the time. I was pastoring a church in New Mexico. And uh, I fly to Connecticut to meet her parents. Never met her dad before in my life. And um, they knew something was up, because your daughter's boyfriend doesn't fly across the country just to say hi. So I asked for their hand in marriage. It didn't quite work out like I was hoping it would at that time, but I eventually did get the girl, so that's all that matters. <laughs> now, we're not going to really cover this, but um, there's approval. They get, they get approval from the family. So Rebecca leaves with Eleazar to go meet Isaac. And we're not going to cover this, but in verse 46, when Rebecca sees Isaac, it is the only mention of smoking in the Bible because it says, when Rebecca saw Isaac, she lit off a camel. She sees her future husband and she smokes. <laughs> now listen, I, can't, I couldn't go wrong with that joke because that was Pastor Pharaoh's joke. And if you don't laugh at that, that's fine. I'm just going to let him know you didn't laugh at it. But you guys did, so he'll be, he'll be glad to know. He'll be glad to know, Pastor. So application. You need to think through a course of action. You need to have steps and deadlines. Steps and deadlines. A goal is worthless if you don't put these in place. They won't happen. I guarantee you. On my, on my wall, I have, I have goals and dreams. 
that I want for, for me and for my family and for our church. And I see them. I see them on a daily basis. And, and when they happen, I just cross them off. I just cross them off. But a goal is worthless unless you put these in place. You know, it's a time to wake up from your dream and go to work. So you got to ask yourself first, how do I intend to get there by the end of this year? How do I intend to get there? You know, if you, want, if you want to run a marathon, which is over 26 miles, and you just show up the day of the race, good luck with that. Now, some of you could probably do the Krispy Kreme Challenge in Raleigh, where you, um, you they have it every year, where you uh, run two and a half miles to a Krispy Kreme store, you have to eat a dozen donuts, and then you got to run two and a half miles back. Now, I know many of you could probably do the first part of that but you would not probably be able to make the second leg of that. Number two, how long will it take? How long will it take? By the end of this month, I hope to be here. By six months, I hope to be here. By nine months, I hope to be here. And you've got to track your progress, and you have to stay positive. Because maybe some months you're going to have a little bit more progress than others. But you've got to stay encouraged. You know, if you want to lose 50 pounds this year, how about just trying to lose 5 or 10 pounds this year? You know, if you, if you have $50,000 in debt, how about you try to bring it down to 45000 this year? You know, make, make those goals realistic. You're, you're thinking, man, this is, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of work. I, I, don't, I just don't know if I want to do it. Well, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Because you can go ahead and don't, and, and don't do anything and nothing's going to change for you. Nothing's going to change. A recent Harvard study showed that 95% of all Americans do not have any written go- goals down. 95%. So only 5% of Americans that write down specific goals and steps, accomplish them. But you know what? It's also that same 5% that are the highest earners in America. Coincidence? Probably not. So is the next 12 months worth a few hours of your time to think through and pray through and talk with your spouse and your kids? What do we want to accomplish? What do we want to accomplish? It's not easy, but it is simple. We try to make it a lot more complicated than it is. You play a crucial part in determining your own destiny. God gives you the choice. He says in Deuteronomy 30, 19, I set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life. If you don't plan your destiny, Somebody else will. So who's planning your destiny? Is it you or someone else? And if it's someone else, how is that working for you? You're saying, I don't even know what my destiny is. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because number one, your destiny is to be a child of God. If you don't get that, you've missed it all. I don't care what you accomplish in this life. That's your greatest destiny. 
If you are not a child of God, you are an orphan, separated by your sin, without a relationship with your Father, the one who created you. If the king of your life is not Jesus, you will forever live a life of emptiness. I've been there. I've been there. And you're empty. And you're saying, is this it? I got all that I ever wanted, and yet I'm empty. Because you don't know your creator. You don't have a relationship with your creator. You will never know your true destiny if you don't know Jesus. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding but submit to him, bow down to him, and he will make your path straight. Number two, your destiny is bigger than you. Your destiny is bigger than you. How many of your goals are blessings for other people? You know, it's okay to have personal goals, but we need to have goals that we want to accomplish that bless other people as well. So one pastor said, if you live a life for yourself, you will never truly live. If you live a life for yourself, you will never truly live. Pastor Farrell says it all the time. The most miserable people in this world are the most selfish. We look at Eleazar. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was a servant, and he was obedient to what his master Abraham told him to do. Even though he was scared and he was hesitant, he went and, he went and did it. And he's a servant, and we're still talking to him, talking about him thir- thousands of years later. You know, I never realized how selfish I was until I got married. Amen. I'm glad my wife didn't say amen. I never realized how sinful I was until I became a dad. And uh, man, I tell you what, it's, it's hard. It's hard being a husband. It's hard being a dad. You know, I, I just, just the other day, I was, uh, got a little angry with my son and uh, raised my voice a couple times. And at the end of the night, man, I just felt so bad and and I just apologized to him. I said, you know, Graydon, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. You know, I want to be a good dad, but it's hard sometimes. Parents, when's the last time you apologized to your kids? That's huge. They need to see that. How do you help people fulfill their destiny? You pursue people. You pursue people. You live a life that is a good testimony. You live with what you, you, you live with what you believe and you pray for people. You pray for people. You pray specifically for people that you know that don't know Jesus Christ, that 2013 would be the year that they come to salvation. 
you know, I cry. There's, there's two things that I could probably cry more about than anything else. One is God's goodness in my life. I, I literally cry, man. He's been so good to me. And I'm about to cry right now. The other thing I cry about is the lost. People that are literally going to hell today that don't know Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, guys, it's been a while since I've cried for the lost. It's been a while. My wife and I, we own a, a photography business. A little shameless plug. But, uh, man, we, we just get awesome, um, awesome brides and, and grooms to, to photograph. And I tell you what, man, there's, there's almost nothing more beautiful than seeing two believers come together that know Jesus Christ. It's, it's a beautiful thing, man. And uh, <laughs> there's been several weddings where, you know, during the ceremony, I look over at my wife and, like, we're both crying, trying to take pictures, you know. Well, last month we were, we were photographing a, a, a wedding, and it was during the reception. And uh, the maid of honor was given the toast and she was, she, it was, a, it was they, were, they were college roommates. The maid of honor and, and the bride were college roommates. And, and she was sharing about, about happy memories the two of them have had. And, and they were laughing and, and sharing some silly stories. And then she started, to get, she got serious. And the bridesmaid started crying. And she said, but you know what? The most special moments between our friendship is when I led you to Jesus Christ. And she just started crying, and, and the bride's crying, and, and I'm crying, and I'm trying to take pictures, you know. And, but that's what it's about. When is the last time you cried for the lost? When is the last time you weeped for all those that don't know Jesus Christ? And I know that I'm yelling. Remember, I'm intense, and I'm passionate, and I'm not mad. But when is the last time you cried? Literally, shed tears for those that know, don't know Christ. May 2013 be a year that you shed tears for the lost, that you weep, that you have such a tender heart for, to, to see lost people come to know Jesus Christ like never before because that is a successful year. That is the best year yet. Amen? When we realize that this life is not about what we can get, but what we can give, everything will change. Everything will change. Number three, the choices you make will have an internal impact for others. I have a story I want to share with you. A certain courthouse in Ohio. Represent. I'm from Ohio. We got any Ohioans here? All right. Two. Dude, Ohio, Cleveland, I'm from Cleveland, Cleveland Rocks. Man, uh, we got Amish. We got uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, we got the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah, notice I didn't say any Cleveland sports teams. It's been a rough life, man, 50 years without a championship. Anyway, let me get back to the story. A certain courthouse in Ohio 
stands in a unique location. Raindrops that fall on the north side of the building go into Lake Ontario and the Gulf of St. Lawrence, while those falling on the south side go to the Mississippi River and the Gulf of Mexico. At precisely the point of the peak of the roof, just a gentle puff of wind can determine the destiny of many raindrops. It will make a difference of more than 2,000 miles as to their final destination. The spiritual application is clear. By the smallest deed or choice of words, we might set in motion influences that could change the course of others' lives here and now and could also affect their eternal destiny. Your obedience affects others. Your sin affects others. If you don't, if you don't think so, how do your kids act? I bet you how your kids act is how you act. Your intimacy with God affects others. Your lack of intimacy with God affects others. You say, I don't believe that. Well, how close are you and your spouse right now? Because I bet there's correlation between how close you and God are right now. If you pursue God, you will pursue your spouse more. If you pursue God, you will pursue your kids. Big or small. You know, Eliezer was hesitant. And Abraham reminds him, but God is faithful. God will be with you. And he takes a step of faith in, in obedience. My, uh, my grandpa Graydon, who my little boy is named after, uh, owned a story, uh, owned, owned a, a grocery store called White Brothers. That's our last name, by the way. Just wanted to throw that out there. <clears throat> he owned a grocery store, and, um, and my dad took over when he passed away. And this, uh, this, this past Thanksgiving, we were at the old store. Um, there's new people that have bought it, and they've renovated it, and it's uh, kind of like a, a hunting store and an outdoor. It's re- they've really done a nice job with it. But uh, we were walking through the store, and uh, one of the uh, Amish guys, because I live by all the Amish. That's country right there, buddy. Um, one of the Amish guys recognized me, and he said, hey, aren't you, uh, aren't you George White's son? And I, I said, yes. And um, he said, uh, he said I, wanted a, I wanted to share a story with you. And this, this Amish gentleman, he's probably in his 60s. He says, uh, he says I, I want to share a story. I said, he said, I, I remember when I was a kid, and your grandpa owned the store. He said, my mom was a widow. And, uh, you know, I was uh, a child of many in our family. And when your grandpa Graydon saw my mom going to check out, he would hop in line, and he would only charge her half the amount for groceries. And I just want to let you know how much that meant. I tell you what, man, that meant a lot to me. Because I never met my grandpa Graydon. But he was a generous man from what I hear. And his choice that he made daily to be generous and to give to people 
is still talked about 50 years later. My grandpa Graydon also made the choice to take his own life. And you can imagine how that choice affected our family. It's part of my family's story. The good, the bad, the tragedies, the joy. We all have a story. We all have a story. You know, God's promise to Abraham is important. Because without kids back in that day, you were looked down upon. And here he is, he's probably 85 years old or so, and doesn't have any kids. And Sarah suggests, hey, you know, I'm getting old. We need some, we need some kids. We need some grandbabies. <clears throat> so what does Sarah do? She suggests that Abraham sleep with Sarah's servant, Hagar. Now, with a name like Hagar, you should have known that was a bad idea anyway. I mean, who names your kid Hagar, you know? But, uh, so what does Abraham do? He's like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So he sleeps with her. <laughs> and then I, I kind of find it ironic when they have, when Sarah has her child, I mean, when, uh, um, when Hagar has the child, Sarah gets all mad and jealous. It was your idea, you know, and yet she's, she gets all angry. But here's the issue. Abraham messed up. And he should have stepped up as the spiritual leader of his home and said, no, I'm not going to do that. But what do we have? we have? We have all the way back in the beginning, Adam and Eve. Eve has has the fruit and, and, and gives, it, gives it to Adam. And what does Adam do? He takes a bite. He should have stepped up as a man. And, and a little side sermon here. Men, you need to step up right now. You need to lead your families. It's, it's not your wife's responsibility to lead your family. And you are maybe on the verge of doing something that is, that is not God's best. And you, need to see, and you need to say, no, we're not going to do that. I'm going to be obedient, and I'm not going to compromise. And if that would have happened in the beginning, look where we would have been. I'm starting to yell again. Number four, your destiny doesn't end in the midst of darkness. Your destiny doesn't end in the midst of darkness. You know, Abraham messed up. He messed up. And sin has consequences. You better believe it does. We all know that. That sin has consequences. But past failures don't have to take away your destiny. You know, maybe some things happened to you that were out of your control. I don't know what it was. And maybe it was some a horrific experience. But you know what? God was there with you when that happened. He was with you and he felt everything you felt. Perry Noble, I love this guy. He's a pastor out of South Carolina. One of the most 
raw pastors I know out there. He says, even though you may feel as if you are in the valley of the shadow of death, God is the author of your life. He can take your pain and turn it into progress. We would never say that a movie is bad because we don't like the section in the middle. Sure, there may be a bad scene or two that rub us the wrong way, but we have to wait to make our judgment until the movie is over. The same is true of life. We have to choose not to allow what we're going through at the moment to define our entire view of God. Your life isn't over yet. As long as you're breathing, there's still hope. Please listen to me. Some of you are in a season right now of darkness and suffering. Remember that it's not going to last. It's not going to last. It's a season. It's a season. But, but the enemy wants you to say, hey, man, nothing's going to change. You're never going to come out of this. You know, someone said, I just heard this past week, a, a preacher say, he said, you know, the mountaintop experiences that we have. You know, we, you know you can't stand the mountaintop, right? But you know what often needs to happen to get to another mountaintop? You need to go through the valley. You need to go through the valley. Some of you can't even make a list right now because you're just thinking about all your failures and all the times you tried, a new year came around and you tried to set goals and dreams for your life and they, and they didn't happen. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to live a defeated life. A defeated life. Noble goes on to say, what has defeated us in our past does not have to define who we are now. Amen to that? Let me repeat that one. What has defeated us in our past does not have to define who we are. He goes on to say, time does not heal all wounds. God does. God does. You think time heals all wounds? Heals all wounds? Then hung up, how come you're hung up what happened 30 years ago? Because you've been letting time try to heal it, and only God can do it. Pastor Farrell says, God shines best when it's the darkest. There's a bigger purpose for your suffering right now. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. God never wastes an experience. Hallelujah. Christy Knuckles, the Christian artist, beautiful voice, after she experienced two miscarriages in a row, this is what she said. She says, these experiences made me realize that God really entrusts me with suffering so that I can later share him with others. That's a different perspective. That this experience made me realize that God entrusts me with suffering so that I can later share him with others. You want to be like Jesus? You're going to suffer. You're going to go through, these, go through hell on earth sometimes. Where would you be today if you didn't go through what you've been through? Man, in the midst of it, 
I don't want to be involved in it. But man, when I come on the out, out, outside of it, God just t- taught me some things. Taught me some things about him, taught me some things about myself. And I wouldn't trade anything in the world for those experiences. If you didn't go through what you went through, would people have still heard about your story? Would, Steve, would people still have heard about the love of Jesus and the strength of your Savior? Isn't that worth it right there? God didn't give up on Abraham. He didn't give up on you. I have a, a friend of mine. His wife has uh, breast cancer. It's pretty severe. And I just found out about it last week. And uh, I, I said, man, I just, I just found out about it. I'm, I'm praying for you guys. And I think they're in their 40s. They have several kids. And I said, uh, just, I'm here for you, man. And here's another thing, too. Don't just tell people you're going to be there for them. Be there for them. It's one thing to say, hey, if you need anything, let me know. No. Go do something for them. Drop a meal off to them. I do it all the time. I know how people are. You know, people are going through something. You say, hey, let me know if I can do anything or drop a meal off. You know what I say? I say, hey, I'm dropping a meal off for you this week. What day works best for you? Sometimes you've got to be a little bit more bolder because people don't want to, you know, you know, they don't want to feel like they're taking advantage or anything. But anyway, I, I say I'm praying for you, man. And you know what he says? He says, thanks, buddy. I, I just, we're just praying through John 9.3. And so I had to look John 9.3 up because, you know, us pastors, you know, we say we know the, all, all the Bible, but we, we really don't, you know. I mean, someone gives us a verse, we got to most likely look it up. But this is what it says. Jesus is confronted with a blind man. And they say, Jesus, who sinned? Did his parents sin? And he said, no. This didn't happen because of sin. This is what what Jesus says. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What you are going through right now could very well be this happened So the works of God may be displayed through you, through your family. So lost people that don't know Jesus would come to know Christ. Isn't that worth it? Let me do a little recap. If you don't make a list and pray about it, you're not serious. If you don't have steps or deadlines, you're not serious. It's just fluff. It's just words. Are you going to plan your destiny? Or are you going to let someone else do that? Are you going to be bold and take the opportunity that's before you? Are you going to be bold?